Well, I want you to open it up to the book of Ephesians, and a big surprise there. Um, we've been in this series on the book of Ephesians for quite a while, and uh, just studying through the book of Ephesians. We finished up chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, and uh, started last weekend on chapter 2. And uh, so I want to read uh, this passage to you. This is verses 1 through 4 in the book of Ephesians. And uh, it says this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, everybody say, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, it's interesting uh, because we talk a lot in our, and we here today especially talk about mercy and we talk about grace. And they do sound a lot like they're the same, but they are not the same, okay? Mercy and grace are not the same thing. Uh, mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. You know, you've probably seen a movie where someone was going to come under attack and they cried out for mercy. And so the, whoever the assailant was granted them mercy, meaning they did not punish them or do harm to them. And so they did not give them what they did deserve. Okay, that's mercy. God not giving us what we do deserve, okay? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. So there is a difference. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. That means the blessings that we receive, we don't deserve them, but we get them anyways. That's what, that's what grace does for us. You've probably heard before when talking about grace that grace is God's unmerited favor, that we don't deserve it, but we receive it. You can't earn the grace of God. There's just no way to be able to do that. That's something God gives to you and you receive by faith because it's by faith that we're saved through grace, you know, but it is, it's by grace that we're saved through faith, excuse me. But you and I, we, our part is to receive what he's done. God doesn't even have to think about it. So we don't have to plead with God for mercy. God has already chosen not to give us through Christ what we deserve. We deserve hell. We reserve, we deserve punishment for our sins. But God, in his mercy to us, does not punish us. Well, I figured more people would be excited about that. God, in his mercy, does not punish us. You know, God is not your enemy. God is not your adversary. I mean, there are a lot of people try to make out that God's some kind of an enemy or an adversary that we deal with. But God is not. God is not our problem. We're our problem. The course of this world, as the scripture tells us, is our problem. The, the, the lust of the flesh is our problem. These are our problems, but God is not our problem. Because God has already decided to not give you what you do deserve. And God has already decided by grace to give you what you don't deserve. So one, he's not giving you what you do deserve. And the other, he is giving you what you don't deserve either. So he's basically, that's what grace and mercy do for you and I. That's exciting, amen? Grace is a New Testament term. It is not an Old Testament term, all right? So mercy was the Old Testament term. The, 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 Jew, the Hebrews, it's the Greek word hasid or chasid, as if you speak Hebrew, and it, and, and it means that that's God's mercy to us, that even though we should get punishment, we're not getting punishment even though we should be cast out. If you've been reading through the book of Ezekiel with me, I mean, you know, Ezekiel gets to be a real heavy book. I mean, it's, I mean, not only is it a long book, but it's a very, it, you know, it kind of starts out really cool and you're like, wow, this is really awesome. And now we're like into the chapters in Ezekiel where it's, it's God saying, look, you guys rejected me. You've walked away from me. You, 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 you deserve everything you're getting in your life. But then all of a sudden, when God's saying all of that, he just kicks into mercy. And he says, but look, if you turn to me, I'll give you mercy. I mean, isn't that just, that, that, that just doesn't work in our, 
our natural thinking. That doesn't work in our natural thinking. You don't deserve any of that, and yet he chooses to give that to you. And so uh, I just encourage you as we're studying through this, how important grace is for our lives. And we talked about last week uh, as we were digging into this, and I'm not going to go back over everything that we talked about last week because I have a lot that I want to get into today. But we talked about the contributors here that separate us, that separated us from God, that made us dead in our sins. That that word death meaning separation. What, what were the three contributors? And he talks about them, trespasses and sins. And we covered that in quite a lot of detail last week. And then number two, we talk about the course of this world, the way of the world, the course of the cosmos, not just the, the earth, but just the way that the world is going, this course of this world that we are in. And then the last one here that we did not really get into a lot was the lust of our flesh, was the lust of our flesh. Now, what we want to look at today is how God responds to us in grace for these three aspects. And the first one we talked about with trespasses and sins is that God doesn't just respond to us with forgiveness, but God responds to us with justification. And justification is, is, is not preached a lot about today, but justification means not only did God, not only did God forgive your sins, but he actually in his mind has restored you back to where you should be at. I was sitting down with a man, uh, this last week and he had, he basically, uh, his whole life went in the toilet. I mean, just, absolutely through some sin and things that he was involved in. And uh, he, he's, he's almost lost everything and he's broken and he's hurting and, and he's very frustrated with, with where he is. And I said, and, and I, and, and, you know, he says, and I just, you know, I, I don't feel, you know, I, I know God forgives me. And, but he says, it's, it just, I struggle with that. And I said, well, brother, I want you to know that God doesn't just forgive you for what you did. It's one thing to forgive someone. It's another to put them back in position. I want you to think about the, the son that came home. Jesus <clears throat> talking about the love of the father. The father's love for you and I. All right? So I want you to think in your own heart now, if you were writing this story and this was your child and they had basically squandered away everything that you gave them, that they had rejected you, your family, walked out, said, I don't want anything to do with you guys later. I'm taking what's, what you say is mine and I am not coming back. Takes off, runs off and just totally blows every penny of it. Ends up flat broke, has nothing left. Now, stay with me. One day you see that child, daughter or son, walking down the road, coming back. Now, as the church, what we tend to think of is, is that we would offer them forgiveness because they are sorry for what they did, right? And there is an element of that that needs to happen in forgiveness. You know, there is a repentance. Repentance, though, doesn't mean I bawl and squall over how bad I was. It means that I turn away from what I did. So when you agree if the son is coming home, he's turning away from something, or the daughter's turned away from something. So here this, your son, your daughter, your family member, they're coming back to you, and you see them coming down the road. And when you see them, you see them that they are uh, barely dressed, they are covered in mud. They smell like pig poop. They have no shoes on. Uh, they're dirty. Uh, they're broken. And they're coming back to you. And so what they do is they come to you because they know they've really, they've really offended everything you stand for. And they say to you, I, look, I'm not worthy. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm broken. I've lost everything. I have nowhere else to go. Now, if we were to take the church as a whole, we would say that then the church would offer back to this person, or we would offer back and say, I forgive you. I'll forgive you for it. But see, that's not what the father did. Because what the father did is, is that not only did he forgive him, but he justified him. Now look, in our mind, what justified means is that he made it just as if he had never sinned. 
What was his first inclination? Bring a robe. Bring a ring, which means now you're, you have the seal of the family. You know, rings weren't just to hit so he could have a gold ring. It was the seal of the family. Kill the fatted calf. My son that was dead is now alive. All right. That's justification. Now, I want you to think in your own heart, could you do that? Now, I'm not asking you to answer. You know, I know we would all want that. What was more humbling for the son? Was it that his father forgave him or his father justified him? I'll tell you what, the justification, because he knew he did not deserve that gift from his dad. Daddy, don't put a robe on me. I don't deserve this. What's this? Don't, don't give me that ring. I, I, I'm not worthy to be called. He had already told his dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father, the loving father, justified him. Justified him. And he justified him not, look, he justified him not only to himself and to his son, but he justified him to every family member and person in his household. Whoa. And even the one that thought he shouldn't be justified, which was the older brother who said, no way, you can't do that for him. I'm the only one here that's justified, and I'm the only one that deserves anything, and he don't deserve a thing. But see, what Jesus' point was is that, look, this you don't know what your loving Father is like. Grace is a justification to our lives that God says, look, though your sins were red as crimson, I make them white as wool, and now I restore you. So, you know, when I'm talking to this, this young man, and I'm saying, listen, man, you, you're missing it. You're trying to get something, you're trying to get it, gets, you're trying to understand something that goes beyond even deeper than what you already comprehend. And that is, is that God forgives you. God not only wants to forgive you, but he wants to completely restore you. Can I say, and please don't take this personal, but the church is lousy at restoration. We really are. We're good at kicking out. Right? Somebody falls short, somebody blows it, somebody's screwed up, you know, preacher, elder, deacon, usher, anybody that attends church, we're really good at saying, you know, look, you're not welcome among us because you failed. But but restoration says, let me bring you back in. Now, look, we're not saying that we just say to anybody, well, you blew it, but just go ahead and keep doing what you're doing. There's definitely some restoration means we take what was once in a state, one state, and we bring it back to that state. So that can take some time for that to happen. But how humbling for that son, that justification. So what does God respond with? With justification. I want you to look at this passage again with me. This is in Romans chapter 5, Romans 5, and uh, in verse 5. Because I was really pushing through this last week. Romans 5, verse 15. But the free gift of God, grace, is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense, which came from from many offenses, resulted, excuse me, one of one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Amplified version sa- says that they shall reign as kings in this life. Reign as kings in this life. Now, you know, the, 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 what, the, to understand how God's grace out of this passage in Ephesians, he said, look, everything that separated you, your trespasses and sins, and, and what we could say is your, your sins and your flagrant sins, the ones you just outright just did wrong and knew you were doing wrong, and those you did when you weren't really trying to do wrong but were trying to do right but still screwed up. He's saying all of that, I want you to know through my son, Jesus Christ, I justify you. That is so hard for us to accept. 
It's so hard for us because it's against our nature. The nature that he talks about that we have been subjected to in the course of this world, the, the, the power of the course of this world. So that leads me to the second point, that not only does God provide through grace, responds with justification, but God responds to us, number two, to deal with the course or the way of this world with a renewed mind. A renewed mind. And this is really powerful because what God says for you and I is, is that, look, what I want to do is I want to take out the old stuff in your mind and I want to put the right stuff in your mind. Because here's the thing in Proverbs, and this is, a, this is a, an Old Testament passage, but it still bears out that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you don't think you can, Ford, uh, uh, the maker of the Ford automobile said this, if you don't think you can, you, you can't. And if you think you can, then you can. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what God wants to do is to create in us that not what the world has told us we are, not the course of this world has caused us to believe, but he wants us to have a renewed mind to know what he says we can be. To be, as Romans says in Romans chapter 1, that he goes, or Romans 8, excuse me, where he goes through this. And I want you to turn with me to this. Go to Romans uh, with me real quick. Romans 12, I'm sorry, I said 12. Uh, I want Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 12, excuse me. I'm so far ahead of myself. All right, here we go, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, look look here at me for just a minute, please, before you read on. This would be typically what we would think God expected of us, period. And we would all, I doubt any of us would agree that, look, our response to God's mercy is that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our, and the, the word that says reasonable service is our reasonable worship to him, that, look, if you want to do right, you present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Here's the problem with living sacrifices. They get off the altar. So no matter how, look, no matter how many times you crawl up on the altar, if you're just a living sacrifice, you're going to get off the altar again. When it gets tough, when you don't like it, when you get offended, when you don't, you know, whatever that can come your way, you're going to jump off that altar. You're not going to stay there because you you can't stay there unless you do verse two. And so it's the same command. He says, look, you got to you got to be a living sacrifice. And then he says in verse two, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape your thinking. Don't let the world this world system, because it's not right. Don't let it be the thing that conforms your thinking. Don't be conformed to it. This is a choice you have to make in your life. If you want to be a living sacrifice and your acceptable worship, then you have to not be conformed to this world. But then he says in the next verse there, part of the verse, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know, people ask me, how do I find out the will of God? By being transformed. You know, when you're a young Christian, you struggle with what's the will of God? I did. I mean, I was like, how do I know? What's the will of God? How do I know what God's will? Does God want me to go to Africa and preach? Does God want me to go to the Philippines? Does God want me to marry Sharon? Does God want me to, you know, all those things we struggle with? Does God want me to live in this city? God want me to buy this house. Here's what happens. When you are dedicated in your life to being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will always know God's will. A-L-W-A-Y-S. Always. 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 You don't have to go to a seer to know God's will. And a true seer is only going to confirm to you what God's will is that you already have an inclination towards.
You got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you work. You work at it. You have to do, see, this is where the rubber meets the road for you and I, because what we have to do now is we've got to be transformed through the renewing of our mind. One, we have to make a commitment to not be conformed to this world. I'm not going to let the world dictate my life. This might be the world I live in. This might be the, the, the country I live in. These may be the rules that are in this country, but look, whatever's happening on the outside of me is not going to determine what's happening inside here. God decides that. Amen? Look, I, I, you know, uh, I pray for our country, but I'm a conscientious objector to a lot of stuff in our country. Amen. And though those things may be practice and may be law even in our country, I don't agree with them and nor will I support them. Now, I didn't say what they were, I'm just telling you. Why? Because I have made a commitment to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. See, when you're spending more time watching CNN and Fox News and all the other stuff that's out there, and you can't even give 30 minutes to God every day to read His Word, you're not being renewed. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. You got that radio going all the time with all kinds of information coming at you. You say, well, I just, you know, I just like to keep up on stuff. Well, how about keeping up on what really matters? And that's what God says. Amen. A lot of stuff changes whenever you start renewing your mind. But let me tell you something. Renewing the mind is not fun. It's not fun because your mind will say, no, no, wait, that's not the way we think. That's not the way we do things. And I could get into some really awesome stuff about the mind. You know, um, I don't have time to get into it today, but, you know, in our lives is that what we think about, this is a proven fact through neurologists, that what we think about develops neural pathways in our mind. And so, you know, You've probably heard of the word triggers before, that something happens, it triggers something in your life, which immediately, you're, if, you, if you don't know, if you don't have something to resource in your thinking, immediately dives into your emotions. And your emotions are as fickle as anything. They are. Oh, oh. thank. I'm glad he didn't say we're guided by our emotions. Amen. Because, like, there's just some days I just don't feel like I want to be married to Sharon. I'm telling you right now. But look, the thing is, is that I know that is not right. And so what I do is I cast that down. That don't belong in here. Get out. I might think about it for a second. But, I, but, but, but. <laughs> I, and look, I'm not letting her testify. She, I'm sure. Oh, my goodness. And she's like, what did I get into with this guy? But it's work. You have to work. You have to spend time in the Word. You have to make a covenant commitment in your own heart. When I say covenant commitment, that means that's something that you, you pledge yourself to before God, not before your pastor, but before God Almighty, that I'm going to spend time in your Word. And I'm going to grow. And I'm because I know, Lord God, the value of renewing my mind. It's the only way that you can combat this. Look, that's the only way that you can combat not being conformed to the world or the next thing. Because let me tell you what's in the world. Fear. Fear. And when fear rules and reigns in our heart, it causes all of the things that go with that fear. And we need to, be, we need to make a covenant commitment in our lives before Almighty God. Lord, I'm going to spend time in your word. I'm going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I commit myself to open my Bible or to get a Bible reading app or to spend time in your word or to get some kind of a devotional. And, you know, we're not talking about spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours doing that. But we are talking about that you would maybe take the first thing in the morning and, and make that your time. You know, Sharon and I, we don't always have time to, to sometimes our mornings are real busy. So we, we put the Bible app on, you know, you version, and we can, it actually will play it out loud and you can play it while you take a shower or while you're putting your makeup on. I'm talking about Sharon right now. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, but there's, while you're doing your hair, you know, or, or getting breakfast and have that word going, 
Be careful. You know, Jesus said it. Look, and I, I got to move on from this. And in, in Mark 4, be careful what you're hearing. Everybody hears stuff, but be careful what you hear, hearing, meaning, meaning don't be careful what you're allowing into your life. Because the measure in the amplified version, it says, the measure of thought and study you give to the word that you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you, and more besides will be given to you who hear. So what happens is, is that what we hear, we continue to hear, and if we continue to hear it, and we start hearing it in here, it begins to produce virtue, and it begins to produce knowledge that, that moves us in a neural pathway that can end in the wrong places in our life, and we don't want to go there. Can you say amen? Especially when you're redeemed. You know, the Bible says, and I'm, uh, in the book of Isaiah 55, it tells us that, look, you can't think like God just because you want to think like God. You can't because you're already in the world. You've already been conditioned by the world. He said it right there in Ephesians. You already have had that. So you can't think like God. God said, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But as the rain comes down, the snow from heaven returns not to the waters of the earth, makes it bring forth the bud to give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He says, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I desire and prosper in the thing for which I sent that word. So see, you have that available to you, but that's the only way you're going to be able to renew your mind. You know, if one, two was enough, then all of us would be changed. But one, two is not enough. Work is what has to happen. By the way, this message does not get any better, so you, you should have done more amen at the beginning. <laughs> so grace responds with justification. Grace responds with a renewed mind. Uh, you can write this down in the book of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. John says, look, anyone that is born of God overcomes the world. Anyone that's born of God overcomes the world. Anyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. Here's the, here it comes. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It's our faith which comes only one way, by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as we hear the word, our faith increases. As our faith increases, we overcome. That's our victory to overcome the world. Amen? Amen. And then we'll be walking around singing, I shall not be moved, I shall not be moved, instead of, my God, what's going on? Well, our world's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, this is horrible. What a mess. What a, what a deal. And we just begin to say, look, I'm not going to be moved no matter what. You know, Paul, in the book of, um, in the book of uh, Acts 20, when Paul was faced with just incredible things against him, and, I mean, just absolutely terrible. And then people were telling him stuff that was not godly. And he says, I'm telling you guys, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself. He says, but this I do. I, I chase after that which I'm chased after by. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That happens through a renewed mind. Well, Pastor, it's the holidays, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'm getting ready for the Michigan-Ohio State game, and, you know, and I'm... I'm just really focused on baking and eating and partying and family and all of that. And you know what? Hey, I'm all for all of that. Nobody likes to eat more than I do. And I, I kind of like family. But, but look, no matter, no matter what, I don't want us to go through this whole holiday season and at the end we're bankrupt because we've invested in all this other stuff and it hasn't produced. Look, no matter how, how awesome the football games are, how awesome the, the, the food is, or it, here's the thing we all know about it, or the family event, it all comes to pass. It's gone. It'll be behind us. It's only what we have done in God that will last with us beyond that. And so we have to pay, make that investment into ourselves. All right, last one. So he says, look, the renewed mind. Then in that verse, verse uh, as we're looking at verse um, 3, he says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. And so uh, how do we overcome the lust of the flesh? And there's only one way to do it. Of course, if you're renewing your mind, it'll help you a ton, but here's the power of it. And I think we miss this in the church as believers, self-control. Did you know that self-control is a spiritual gift? It is. Self-control. You know, we think that, well, I don't have any control. Well, that's because you're leaning to your flesh, not to the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to have self-control, to discipline, to make our flesh not be in charge of our lives. Galatians 5.23. If you take a look at that, Galatians 5.23 says this. Or we can look at verse 22 verse first. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. Man, we all love those. Those are awesome. Love and, oh, joy and peace and glory to God and long-suffering and kindness and goodness. Man, faithfulness. Woo! Makes me want to shout gentleness. And then these finishes with self-control. How many songs do we sing about self-control? I'll just let that set in for just a minute. How, do, how many songs? I mean, how many verses do we go to about self-control in our life? You know, in our lives, how many songs do we sing about that? I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm the self-control of the Holy Spirit. Man, we sing about peace. We sing about joy. We sing about love. We all need love, right? But let me tell you something. If you don't have that last one, it's the gateway to corrupting all the others. I want you to think about because he's doing a contrast here. Okay. The contrast that he's doing in this passage is really, is really amazing because he's talking about the law and the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Now, he tells you that the last thing in that list of things, love, joy, peace, you know, long-suffering, faithfulness, all those things, and the last thing he brings up is self-control. You know, if you know the Ten Commandments, you know, when he went through, of course, we all know, you know, you have no other gods before me and you'll not commit adultery. Anybody know what the last commandment was? Do not covet. And did you know that that last commandment is the gateway to defiling all the other commandments? Amen. Covetousness. I want what you have. I want your wife or your husband. I want your goods. I want, I want, I want, I covet to be in charge of my own life. I want your gods. I want other stuff. And it's, so it's the gateway that leads to the defiling of all the other nine commandments. In this passage, in the fruit of the Spirit, if self-control is lost, if self-control is lost, it will eventually eat into faithfulness. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, absolutely it would. And I want to tell you what, it'll eventually dump out peace and it'll take away long suffering and it'll take away joy and it'll get to the love eventually it will corrupt the love in our lives because of because of the lust of the flesh i'm not here to preach about the lust of the flesh to tell you that look shame on you for having that i'm telling you a way to get rid of to overcome that and that is by drawing on the fruit of the spirit that is in you already if you're born again here today you have self control in you already so well, I didn't know that. Well, that's why you keep falling under that same trap because you're not drawing on what you already have in you. Peter talked about it in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. And uh, if you want to flip up there with me, uh, and he was talking in verse 5, he said, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, uh, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Now there is the lust of the flesh. Who, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. self Control, to be strong, temperate, masterful. That's how you overcome the lust of the flesh. Well, pastor, would you lay hands on me that I would have that? Well, you already got it. So, well, how do I develop it? You got to go back to step two. Renew the mind. 
I have self-control. I mean, every day, get up and say, I have a spirit of self-control. I have self-control. I have self, especially Thanksgiving Day. I have self-control. <laughs> Hallelujah. You want to start a real conversation at dinner? Just say it out loud. Lord, I have self-control. In grace, when you pray over the food, say, Lord, I thank you that we have a spirit of self-control at this table today. Oh, yeah. See, what we have to, you know, something the Lord had spoke to me. Um, Joe and I were working out, and sometimes whenever I'm being totally tortured, I really come to clarity. And, uh, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said that, listen, I give you spiritual abilities to overcome natural deficits. I give you spiritual abilities to overcome natural deficits. Uh, and the example that he showed me, and this is really powerful. Because he said, the natural tendency of man is survival. It really is. To survive. The survival of the fittest. You've heard that before. You know, those who, you know, the strongest, the smartest, all, that it's all about survival. Survival is a horrible place for us to live in, though, because in that we're still always living with the element of fear. But God doesn't give us to us. the he, What he does for us is he gives us something as a gift to overcome survival. Now, I want you to listen to me for a moment with this. God's gift to us to overcome survival is stewardship. Stewardship. Because, see, stewardship says, whatever I have is a gift from God, and I will use it to the best of my abilities. The powerful thing about stewardship is, if we use what we have to the best of our abilities for God, and we recognize that, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow, the natural process is that there is a law of reciprocity that takes place. And reciprocity just means that give and you're going to receive. So whatever that you honor in your life to God, God will reciprocate back to you and more, like I talked about out of the book of Mark 4, and more will be given to you besides. That's how God works. Stewardship is an incredibly powerful principle. Now, we tend to think of it financially, you know, how we deal with our money. I had a great testimony that came to me this last week. Someone who was a non-tither in the ministry uh, had attended church here. They came and were telling me the testimony of how that they just made a decision in their, through advice, and they were, made a decision to start giving uh, as much as they felt like they could at that time. They were not at a place where they could start tithing yet, they felt, but they wanted to do something, so they gave they gave $20, all right, out of their paycheck. Now, everything went fine. All they said, they said all their bills were paid. Everything was taken care of. But then the next week, uh, they really felt like that they needed to up what they were doing. I think they did that for two weeks, and then the next week they were like, well, I really feel like the Lord's starting to deal with me to do more. And so they really wanted to take a step of faith. And listen, if you've never done that, that is a step of faith to do that. So they wanted to take a step of faith. So they took a step of faith and uh, wanted to give, I think they wanted to actually give pretty close to 10% of their, their pay to the Lord and just to honor him, not to honor the pastor, not to honor the church, to honor God. And so they did it, and they said that the following week, they, were, they had been uh, dealing with garnishment on a hospital bill, and, all, and the hospital bill was paid off, and they got money back. Now, you could just go, well, that's, well, that's just a, come on, that's just a coincidence. Well, I don't know what world you live in, but I haven't seen very many coincidences like that happen. All of a sudden, the debt's completely paid off, and you're getting money back. Woo! Glory! Can I get a good Amen. See, that's the law of reciprocity, that what you give, it's given to you good measure. That's what God gives to us. So see, God doesn't give us survival mode. You know, survival mode says hoard. Look at your neighbor and say hoard. You know what hoarding is, right? I mean, it's just hoard, keep, you know, gather, get as much as you can, keep it all in reserve and, and for something, you know, that you might need it someday. But here's the thing, that stewardship says, everything I have is a gift from God, and I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to help the poor. All the different things that we're going to do. Now, that's just financially. Can I take it to another level? Thank you for those three grunts. Your health 
is a gift from God. And you have to steward that health. Now I know there, we all deal with, look, we all deal with aches and pains and sickness and disease and all, you know, some of you got some pretty tough things that you're, but look, in your life, what you have to watch is, is that you, you have to realize you have self-control. So you do not have to, just because you're dealing with that ailment in your body, surrender to everything that's out there and let it ruin and, and destroy the rest of the life that you have. Amen. Because you have the spirit of self-control. There are lots of people that attend our church that have, deal with high blood pressure, that deal with diabetes. That deal. There are lots of folks that deal with all kinds. There are people that are here that deal with cancer and, and are dealing with uh, you know physical weakness and all those kinds of breathing issues. I mean, all over. And, and look, there's no judgment or condemnation in that. But it's what are you going to do today with what you have right now? Because remember, the law of reciprocity says that what I honor to God, God will honor back to me, and more will be given to me. So if I take care of what I have and honor God with it, God will bless me back. And I'm going to tell you, I just want to give you a little secret here. And whether you, you know, I'm 60 years old, I know that's not old, but. It's just older. But this is something we have to live with the rest of our lives to steward because that's what God has given us as a gift, self-control to steward. You know when Sharon and I started to get out of debt? When we started stewarding instead of surviving. See, surviving says that I got an extra 20 bucks, I'm going to McDonald's. Stewardship says I got 20 bucks, I'm paying my credit card off. Huh? Stewardship says I'm done going out to eat until I'm out of debt. Yeah. I probably should have got my nice flowery message out for this service. But look, I'm trying to help you here. I'm, this is rubber meets the road preaching. I hope you can handle it. And if you can't, stop being a sissy. Amen. Everything around you will tell you you can't. And I'm telling you that you can. I want you to hear this. This was given to me. This is out of devotional. I wanted you just to, this will, this will just really challenge your thinking. Um, this is by a guy by the name of Norman Cousins. And he said this, no disease is more lethal than the boredom that follows retirement. Here's a true story of a lady. This is a true story in her 80s who went to her doctor for a checkup. And he asked if she stayed active. She gave him a big smile and said, I jog about four or five miles every day. Surprised, he told her she needed to be careful and not overdo it. Take it easy, he suggested. She took his words to heart and decided to slow down. She reduced her jogs to slow walks and cut back to one or two days a week. Within a year, she was dead. Guess who learned a valuable lesson? The doctor. He said, I will never, ever tell someone again to back down. That's stewardship, folks. Now, look, maybe you can't go out and run five or eight miles. And I, I'm not doing a health clinic, but I'm just, maybe you can't do some of that stuff. But what can you do? What can you start with today? Well, the wind's blowing. The sun's in my eyes. You know, I, my lips are chapped. I got a butt cramp. I mean, all the things that we could tell ourselves, all right? You know, I, I get all that. But what can you do today? What can you do today that will start you down the right path? See, that's stewardship. That is a gift from God in your life. The world does not. The world by itself does not practice stewardship. It does not. The world itself, you, you know, when I turned 50, I've, I've spent m listening to people more tell me what I shouldn't be doing at 50 years old. When I turned 51, it was the same. 52, 53, I started doing Tough mutters when I was in my late 40s. I had people all the time just like, you know, what's wrong with you? you know, don't you know that's for the young? And, well, look, you're as young as you feel. Amen. You know, you, I'm not ready to dry up and go away. 
fact, the truth is, and I mean, this would be my dream. I just go and go and go. And then one day I just stop and I'm in heaven. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, just go, 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 go. Hallelujah. Set an example. Be strong. Do everything I can. Fight through all the ailments. Look, come on. Here's a fact. You know this is true. I don't care what you do. If you get up and move, you'll have pain. But if you sit on your rear end all day, you'll have pain too. You'll just have a different kind of pain. Probably hemorrhoids. So, well, you got to steward what you have. You say, well, pastor, this isn't very spiritual. Well, it is spiritual. Self-control. This is why we screw up in the church with this so much, because self-control is a spiritual gift from God. You don't have to shove everything in your mouth. You don't have to eat everything on your plate. Amen. No matter what mommy and daddy told you, you don't have to eat everything on your plate. You don't have to fill yourself up with all the garbage. You can take care of yourself. You say, well, well, pastor, are you doing it? Uh, most of the time. <laughs> I need my preaching too. Amen. Well, she should have waited until January, you know, to preach this. Well, look, then you have Valentine's Day coming. And then after that, you got Memorial Day and you got the Super Bowl to deal with. I mean, who wants to go to a Super Bowl where they're serving celery and carrots, for crying out loud? I want smoked meats and cheese and, right? Self-control says, though, I will not allow that to control my life. I will not allow it. What can you do today to begin to practice self-control? You might be surprised just to get out and move around, walk to the end of the block. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Put away that grabber that you got, you know, that you grab stuff with. Put it away and actually make yourself get up half the time, a third of the time, a fourth of the time. At least you're doing something more than what you were doing before. That's self-control. So God gives us supernatural abilities to overcome natural deficits. Today, you may not have known that you have a gift from God in your life called self-control, but you've got it. But you have to develop it. You have to release it. Just like you have to develop His love in your life, His joy in your life, His peace. It's all there in seed form, but you and I have to do something with it. So I'm going to close. This is a real, this is a real touchy-feely verse that I'm going to read to you to wrap up so you won't hate my guts after church today. But I want to read this out of the Ben Campbell translation, and this is verse 4 and 5. And uh, you can go ahead and close your Bibles up if you want to. But he, Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2, and he says this of Ephesians. But, but we have found God to have extraordinary compassion and immense love for us. When we were totally insensitive to Him, He cared for us and raised us from death to life through our encounter with Christ. You know, that's true. We were insensitive to God, but God was not insensitive to us. And with His great love, with which He loved us, He has, expended, he has given to us compassion and mercy. I'm going to ask everyone if you'd stand right now. I want to finish this service today. We're done a little early. And uh, I'm just going to ask you today, um, Chuck, I did, why don't you come play something for me, if you would, please? Maybe there's something you need to settle with God today. You know, whether it's, it's, it's in your finances, it's your health, it's some relationship you have, whatever. I, I don't want to know details. But I'll tell you what, God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you about that. And I, I just encourage you, these things... These things have become so real to our life. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear something contrary to it. You know, the trespasses and the sins and to hear, and, and, and even in church, and to hear about the course of the world and the lust of the flesh. But I want to help you to overcome all three of those things in your life. And so I know that at times in our lives, what we have to do is we have to make a covenant commitment before God. Something between us and God. And where we say to the Lord, Lord, from this day forward, I commit myself for the next, maybe you got to do a short-term deal. Maybe for the next 30 days, I'm going to spend 
20 minutes every morning reading your word. Or I'm going to take five minutes, 10 minutes a day and spend time praying for people, praying for my pastor that'll preach better. Uh, <laughs> Lord, I, I pray today I'm going to develop self-control. I'm going to make that covenant commitment. That I'm going to, Lord, I'm not going to let life control me. I'm going to begin to take control of my health, of my fi the finances. Lord, it's all a gift from you. My health is a gift. My family is a gift. My marriage is a gift. All these things that are wonderful gifts that you've given me, and I'm going to steward them. I'm going to thank you for them. Thank you for giving them to me. And I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to begin to practice that self-control so I can use them to the best of their ability. So I'm just going to ask if there's anyone that wants to come to the altar, you'd like to kneel down here for just a few moments and settle that with God. You can do that here today. And uh, I, I just opened the altar right now. So uh, maybe you guys are all cool. And that's fine. But if you want to do that, I want you to come right now. Something, this is between you and God, something you just need to settle before you leave this place today. You know, faith without works is dead. If God's been dealing with your heart about something, you have to take, you have to move. You have to do something. So go ahead and do that right now. Hallelujah. All over the building. We just want to give you that chance. Let's go ahead and go off the air. I don't want folks seeing this. Uh, who's at the altar? Who's not? And uh, God bless you. You can do this at home as well. But if there's something you need to settle, let's settle it.